0: Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on February 12, 2017, on the basis of Matthew 5, verses 38 through 48. I know a shortcut. Those are enticing words, aren't they? If someone promises that they can get us from point A to point B, even just a little bit faster, we're usually pretty quick to jump on board with that, aren't we? In fact, one of my favorite things in the whole world is, is when I'm going somewhere and I'm using the navigation system in the car, and the navigation system says to go this way, but I actually know that it's a little bit faster to go that way. And eventually you get to that point where you diverge from the suggested route and the, the system has to recalculate not only the route but also the travel time left. And I just love when it, when it jumps instantly from like 55 minutes down to 42. I'm like, yes, yes. I'm winning. I'm stealing time. I'm ahead of the game. It's the best feeling in the world. Everyone, everyone loves a shortcut, right? Well, it kind of depends. I mean, imagine if someone said, I know a shortcut. I mean, here we are. We, we just walked off the eighth green, and right over there is the 18th tee. And if we skip holes nine through 17, we're going to be back in the clubhouse a whole lot faster. Or imagine if someone said, I know a shortcut. Here we are at the gate at the airport, getting ready to go to Jamaica for our honeymoon. But you know what? A week from today, we're going to be right back at this very same gate. And so if we just decided, you know, not to get on the plane, we could get home a whole lot faster. (laughs) Not so enticing anymore, is it? Whether or not you want to take a shortcut kind of depends on the activity that is involved, right? And the reason I mention that is because as we continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that I wanted to emphasize today is that as Jesus speaks these words, he's not simply trying to explain the life that he calls us to in his kingdom. He's not simply trying to describe the uncommon sense that governs that kingdom. He actually wants us to long for that life. He wants us to, to want that life. In those opening verses that we looked at a few weeks ago, over and over and over again, he kept using that word, blessed. In the verses that we looked at last week, he referred to people in the kingdom of God as salt of the earth and light of the world. In other words, people who are blessings to the world around them. But of course, it's very easy to view life in Jesus' kingdom in in a little bit of a different way. Almost as if it's this necessary evil almost as if it's kind of this mandatory trade-off. Like, yes, Jesus gives us forgiveness. He gives us the wonderful gift of eternal life. But now we're expected to live these lives that are selfless and sacrificing and meek and humble and generous toward others. And it absolutely makes for a miserable existence during this life, but I suppose if if that's what it takes because of, of what we get, I suppose I'll do it. And, of course, if we have that view of life in the kingdom of God, it's only natural that, that at every single opportunity we get, we're going to go looking for a shortcut. And that's exactly what Jesus was dealing with in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount. Six separate times, Jesus says to the crowds who are gathered before him, you have heard it said. Jesus points out things that the religious leaders of the day were saying, were teaching the people as ways to make it easier to follow the law of God. And yet, in all six cases, Jesus says, But. You have heard it said, But I say to you. In other words, the religious leaders are saying, This is the way that you should go, follow us. Jesus is saying, No, this is the way that you should go, follow us. Me. There were some verses that you looked at a couple of weeks ago when Vicar Phelps was here. And in those verses, he addressed a very common shortcut that is still very easy for us to take. The shortcut of only focusing on our outward obedience to God's law. In other words, as long as you don't actually murder someone, it's okay for you to harbor hatred and anger in your heart. As long as you don't actually commit adultery with someone else's spouse, it's okay if you are filled with lust for that person. The religious leaders were saying, yes, this is the way that you should go. Jesus is saying, no, but I tell you, this is the way that you should go. And in the verses that are in front of us today, Jesus deals with another one of those shortcuts. A shortcut that is probably much more surprising, maybe one that we've never even thought of, in terms of an easy way to obey God's law, the shortcut Jesus addresses is actually politics. Politics can become a very easy way for us to to try and sort of take a shortcut to full obedience of God's law. In fact, recently I, I was reading a book where the author made the very same point. He pointed out how it's very common for us today to actually view our vote as the ultimate sign of our moral character rather than the way that we actually live. In other words, in the interest of helping those who are less fortunate, one person might decide that they are always going to vote for expanded social programs that do that very thing. And yet that same vote can quickly and easily become a shortcut that a person uses as an excuse to actually never help anyone out or be generous towards someone in need. In the very same way, in the interest of protecting the unborn. Someone might decide that they are always going to vote for pro-life candidates and pro-life legislation. And yet, just as quickly, we can can use that vote as an excuse, as a, a shortcut to never do anything to help unwanted children or to help expecting moms who have nowhere else to go. Our politics can very easily become a shortcut a shortcut to the, the life of full obedience that Jesus wants us to live in. And there's a very natural reason for that. It's because the moral standards that our government holds us to will always be lower than the moral standards Jesus holds us to. Here's what Jesus says He says, You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now that statement comes directly from the Old Testament law of Moses, the law that that governed the people of Israel. And what that meant is that in Old Testament Israel, it it wasn't as if if one person hurt the eye of another, that that first person's eye needed to be gouged out. No, it simply meant that in, in Old Testament Israel, they operated by a principle that I think just about every nation that has ever existed has operated by. The principle that the punishment ought to fit the crime. The thing that keeps you from landing in the electric chair for jaywalking, for example. Well, now, the religious leaders in Jesus' day were, were taking that law that governed their society and they were saying that it also ought to govern your personal life. In other words, if someone does something wrong to you, you have the right to retaliate. You have the right to get revenge as long as your revenge is about on the same level as the thing that was done in the first place. They were saying to the people, this is how you should live. And Jesus says, but. You have heard it said, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You see, common sense approaches interactions with other people and very quickly leads us to ask the question, what are my rights? If someone has done something harmful to me, I want to know what do I have the right to do back. If someone else is asking something of me, I want to know what do they have the right to expect. Jesus is saying that that uncommon sense does exactly the opposite. Rather than seeking retaliation as long as the punishment fits the crime, Jesus says, be willing to suffer injustice. Rather than asking how much help does this person deserve from me, be willing to get taken advantage of every now and then. The uncommon sense that Jesus is teaching is in these words is simply this, that in the kingdom of God, wrongs are actually better than rights. Now, these words from Jesus raise all kinds of difficult questions. Is Jesus really saying that we should be willing to just get slapped around? I mean, doesn't, doesn't self-defense come in at some point? Or if someone at the gas station asks me to help fill up their tank, does that mean I'm supposed to just hand them the keys to my car instead? Jesus' words raise all kinds of of difficult and sometimes complex questions about situational Christian ethics. And this morning, I'm not going to spend a single second talking about those things. And here's why. It's because all too often, I think they're a shortcut. I think they're a way for us to avoid the difficult questions that, that we know Jesus answers to. I mean, when was the last time that that someone really tried to slap you around? When was the last time that someone tried to take the shirt off your back? I'm guessing that for most of us, that rarely happens, if ever at all. But do you know what does happen? A spouse gets angry and speaks hurtful words. Or a friend stabs us in the back to make friends with someone else or someone cuts us off on the road and maybe even puts our lives in danger as you see them texting on their phone. Someone messes up big time at work even though we've, we've carefully explained what they're supposed to do on the project and now they come to us asking us to bail them out. Someone is standing there by the side of the road and, and maybe yes that person has made all kinds of bad decisions in their life but there they are with nothing begging for food, begging for money. Those are the real-life situations where we have opportunities to put into practice Jesus' words. To absorb those hurtful words from someone else without immediately firing back. To forgive someone even before they've said that they're sorry. To approach someone in need and, and not ask, what does this person deserve from me? But, but to help them, yes, in, in a way that is truly good for them, but not based on what they may or may not deserve. To live in such a way that we demonstrate that, that wrongs are better than rights. So I think the real question that maybe we're, we're wondering and, and need a little bit of an answer to is, why would anyone live that way? How can anyone live that way? Isn't, isn't that going to make life miserable? And that's the very question that Jesus answers in the next part of this section. He goes on to say, if you love only those who love you and if you help only those who help you or or deserve to be helped, do you know who you're living like? Well, congratulations, you're living like exactly like the unbelieving world all around you. I mean, it is entirely natural to love those who love you and to help those who help you, but, but to love those who don't love you and to help those who can't help you, well, then do you know who you're living like? You're living just like God. God, who Jesus says makes his sun shine, makes his Son rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So yesterday, North Korea was in the news a little bit as, as it was discovered that they had launched this nuclear test missile just off the, uh, the coast of their nation. And you're probably aware that the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, is probably the world's cruelest dictator. Just as an example, dozens of his own family members have been thrown into political prison for for opposing him in some sort of way. And in fact, right now, a lot of people are concerned for the welfare of his wife because apparently she hasn't been seen for almost a year now. Do you know what God did for Kim Jong-un yesterday? even as he may have been plotting the death of thousands of people, God caused the sun to rise over his head. And God caused the rain to fall on the fields that provide him with food. God did not withhold those blessings because he did not deserve them. God did not retaliate for the evil that he has carried out. No one said just just the opposite. God himself demonstrated that, that wrongs are better than rights. In fact, that's how He deals with all of us, not just the evil dictators. So Jesus says, make that your standard. Live that way. Demonstrate in your life the very same principles that, that God does, that that wrongs are in fact better than rights. In fact he, he finishes up by saying Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now at this point, we get another theme that comes out throughout the Sermon on the Mount that just as we are realizing that, that this kind of life that Jesus is advocating is, is not some necessary evil, it's not some compulsory payback that we owe God, but in, instead is a wonderful blessing to us and a wonderful blessing to the world around us. As soon as we realize that and, and actually long for and want for the life that Jesus describes we, of course, immediately recognize I have absolutely no capability of living that way, certainly not up to the standard of my Father in heaven. Yes, on the one hand, Jesus makes it very clear, you're not allowed to take any shortcuts. But on the other hand, if we think that we can go down this road as a way to earn favor with God or or eventually make it to heaven with him, we're going to run into a dead end. It is absolutely impossible for anyone to live this way, except of course Jesus. In fact, remember those words that we looked at last week. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it. He came to perfectly demonstrate a life where wrongs were far better than rights. When they insulted him and mocked him and told all kinds of lies about him, he stood there silent. As they beat him and flogged him, he didn't lift a finger to retaliate. In fact, as they nailed him to the cross, he prayed for their forgiveness. And in fact, as he was about to give up his life, you maybe even remember what he said. He said, it is finished. In fact, the word that he uses there, the word that is translated finished, is the very same word that he uses here that's translated perfect. In other words, on the mountain where Jesus gave this sermon, he says to all of us, do. But then on the mountain where he gave up his life, he says to all of us, done. That impossible path, that path with no shortcuts or easy ways out was walked fully and completely for you by Jesus. And that's why the God of the universe who rules over all things, and who demonstrates that wrongs are better than rights, he's not just God. Jesus says he is your Father in heaven. Why do the people of this world have to get revenge? Why do they have to retaliate against even the slightest injustice? Because if they don't, who else will? Who else is fighting for their cause? Why are you able to live in a way that demonstrates that wrongs are better than rights? It's because the all-powerful, all-knowing God, the the God who will one day make every wrong right, He is your Father. He is on your side. Why do the people of this world have to scratch and claw for every last thing that they can get? And why do they need to hold on for dear life to everything that they have? It's because that's all there is for them to gain. That's the greatest that they can possibly hope for. Why are you able to live in such a way that demonstrates that wrongs are better than rights? Because you have a Father in heaven. And you have an unfathomable inheritance that has been prepared for you and that that Father is just waiting to be able to give you. Now, as you live that life, will it always be fun no. Will it always be easy or pleasant? Not at all. But it will be good. It will be blessed. And it will be a blessing to the people around you. Why? Because it will give you just a small taste of what God himself tastes when he rules the world in the very same way. And it will give the people around you just a, just a small taste of the bottomless, unconditional mercy of God. See, it's not just the morally correct way to live. It's, it's the better way to live. And so the last thing you would ever want to do is take a shortcut. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.